Hello. Hello. I'm Ethan Bird. I'm Nick Donahue. And welcome to episode six of Unexceptional Americans. We, uh, we are kind of doing this uh, a bit off the cuff um, as, uh, as we, had a, we had a special guest planned for today, but unfortunately that has appeared to have fallen through. So we will just be on, uh, kind of improvising this episode, but rest assured we will still try to do our best and we will dive right into uh, some of the important stories that we feel we need to cover. So uh, Nick uh, introduced the uh, FBI, FBI article, as you uh, told me about. Yes. So um, The Intercept yesterday published an article um, by Chip Gibbons called uh, The FBI Opened Terrorism Investigations into Nonviolent Palestinian Solidarity Group Documents Reveal. Uh, Apparently in 2006, a St. Louis-based activist and academic, I'm literally reading word for word the first few sentences of the article, um, Mark, I cannot pronounce his last name, uh, Hamil. Yeah, I'm. I'm assuming it's um, Hebrew, Hebrew or Yiddish name that has you know CHs will be a Hamil in it. Um, Received a message on his answering machine from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The FBI wanted to talk to Camille about trip about a trip three years ago that he and other St. Louis activists took with the International Solidarity Movement to the West Bank in the Israeli-occupied Palestinian territories. So basically, this was a civilian, not dangerous group. It's not listed as a terrorist organization. Um, it's it's just a normal civilian peaceful NGO type organization, uh, the International Solidarity Movement, that runs these sorts of uh, human rights campaigns. And the FBI decided to secretly, very covertly, very quietly conduct an international terrorism investigation into this professor, into this academic uh, from St. Louis, who was taking a trip through this organization and other people from um, a second activist whose name is who preferred to stay anonymous, whose name is not in here. Um, But basically the FBI, this is an example of increasingly um, what lots of people have liked to think the FBI doesn't do anymore. The FBI doesn't get involved in politics, doesn't act as a political police force, essentially. Um, doesn't do that kind of thing anymore. Yeah, they did COINTELPRO, but that was a dark period in the past that, you know, we've left behind. We've moved on. Now we care about, we only care about enforcing the law and protecting Americans. Well, here, they're they're basically... Um, Martin Luther King was an American. Yeah, they're basically engaged in um, politically motivated harassment of... Uh, civilian organizations ran by U.S. citizens who are not affiliated, who they don't have any evidence are affiliated with terrorism, um, basically harassing them and intimidating them for for participating in the international uh, movement for Palestinian rights. Yes. Um, and I think this is part of a, a more disturbing trend, which as, as at the turn of the century, you might have hoped, after, especially after... Uh, Bill Clinton's uh, accords, I forgot what they're called, the Oslo Accords? The Oslo Accords. Yeah, 
with uh, the Palestinians and Israelis, uh, which I'm not too familiar with. But I mean, maybe you would have hoped at the turn of the century that the U.S. would move to a more neutral or objective position on Israel-Palestine. But unfortunately, over the past 20 years, we've only doubled down on um, our support for the uh, Israeli apartheid state. And in fact, uh, recently, some states have passed laws which are completely unconstitutional, by the way, that are basically restricting restricting uh, the rights of people to publicly support BDS, uh, which is, of course, a movement for Palestinian rights against Israel. And um, those those people uh, are very powerful on both in both parties. There's a very strong consensus, unfortunately, uh, as we use as we as uh, we often speak of the unfortunate uh, you know, negative bipartisan consensus, consensi, I don't know, that we have in, in our politics, which is that Israel is, you know, a strong ally of the United States. Israel is something that is to be defended. Basically, they're, they're the, they, in many people's eyes, are the second, the second most important country to defend after the U.S. itself. Not Canada, not the U.K., not, you know, any of Japan. They, they are really, there's a very specific focus on Israel and Israel's relationship with America in our politics. Yeah. And, and this has pissed me off for years now, this whole opening up a new front in the culture war along free speech lines, supposedly, you know, everything that I, you know, if you wrote my sentence down that I just said, you know, put that in quotes because that's how the so-called free speech warriors on the right would like to frame themselves. And I'm going to name names, people like Dave Rubin, like um, Milo Floppy Nipples before he got <laughs> hashtag canceled for being pro-pedophilia. Ben uh, Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, Jordan obviously. Jordan Peterson. Steven Crowder. Steven Crowder, Sargon of Akkad on YouTube. Intellectual um, lights, all of them. Yes, yeah, pseudo-intellectuals who all call themselves free speech absolutists or cultural libertarians or whatever the hell they're calling themselves who seem to think the biggest threat to free speech is i don't know college kids who have dyed their hair a color that i don't know they find off-putting i that somehow it's it's college students who you know don't like things they think are racist and sometimes sure maybe they go a little too far maybe they go whatever who cares It, it really doesn't matter it literally is the most inconsequential thing in the world. It's, it is in terms of issues that should be priorities here in the United States, in terms of political issues, should be way, way down at the bottom of the list. Yeah, after, the after, actual... we, after we, first of all, got done with the coronavirus and then, you know, fixed all the environmental problems and the healthcare problems and the economic problems and all of our, you know, foreign policy issues, then maybe we can talk about the fucking SJWs. Yeah, then maybe, maybe we will consider having that conversation. But the biggest threat to free speech is the one that they never talk about. The fact that there are laws being passed state by state, and then a law was passed at the federal level in, uh, or in uh, tw- last year when the government shutdown, when we started off 2019 with a government shutdown, um, when the Senate came back from Christmas break, the first thing that happened was that Marco Rubio decided to introduce a law that would legalize, it would clarify within the law that all those state level laws were legal. It was going to base it, which, again, contradicts, directly contradicts the First Amendment. 
directly contradicts what it says. There's no, there's no way in hell you could justify this if you are, you know, a believer in the Constitution, as all those people claim to be. But they are not speaking out about this because they also are rabid supporters, especially in the case of Ben Shapiro of the Israeli state and of Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister who has been indicted for corruption who has been involved in how many scandals, who has, you know, an open, pretty much an open race towards Palestinians. I've... And we should remember how that corruption scandal, what it is, which it, it directly ties in with the issue of a free press and freedom of speech. He, so Sheldon Adelson, American-based casino billionaire, don't, Republican donor extraordinaire who supports... Um, Donald Trump, he supported Ted Cruz and then moved to Donald Trump in the primary process, gives a crap load of money to Republican candidates, Start used all his money to start a newspaper, a far right, um, you know, sort of newspaper. From my understanding, it's basically like a it's basically a newsletter or sort of like a pamphlet get, that gets released on a um, regular basis. But they sell it for basically like pennies or for free. They just like kind of give it away, hand it out. And it's bankrolled by Sheldon Adelson. And it's all pro-Likud, pro-Netanyahu, specifically Netanyahu's far-right, um, very extremist, hardliner element of the right-wing Israeli uh, Likud party. And <laughs> that newspaper obviously directly undercuts all competition because it's being given away for free. And Netanyahu is basically going around, apparently go, like just straightforwardly telling other Israeli publications, hey, you got to, maybe if you give me a little bit positive coverage, we won't be handing out these pamphlets for free. Maybe we'll start to charge. But until then, we're going to drive you out of business until you give me more positive coverage. Yeah. He was blatantly trying to bully the press into you with the help of Sheldon Adelson, an American billionaire, not an Israeli. So honestly, he has no right to interfere in the internal politics of Israel to begin with. Okay. But, you know, if we want to talk about Israel's right to exist and all its sovereignty and all that, then how about we, you know, stop letting American billionaires and uh, it's worth politics it's, of Israel. It's worth, um, it's worth um, drawing a drawing a connection here to the current situation in the world, the COVID nineteen pandemic that is, of course, you know, caught the world's attention by storm as it as it should as it should. Um, but in Israel, they are not treating it seems uh, Arab patients. Uh, yeah, COVID, there, of COVID. There are there's some reports to suggest that Israel, within Israel proper. Um, 20% of the population of Israel proper is um, Arab. A- is Arab, ethnically Arab. Um, and this is not, once again, let's point this out, that this is not a religious conflict. There are a huge amount of, um, yes, the majority of Israeli Arabs are Muslims, but there is a Christian minority. So this isn't just straightforward about religion. Here. It's a racial thing and as well. It's, an eth- it's primarily an ethnic thing. It's primarily a, a settler colonial type conflict. And the Palestinian, the Arab citizens of Israel are, according to some reports, being denied health care coverage, being denied, not health care coverage, excuse me, uh, being denied the treatment for treatments for COVID 
or testing each yeah, other the, in yeah. some cases. Uh, the Haaretz, the uh, paper, paper in Israel, reported that um, the, direct, the director general of uh, Magen, David Edom, emergency medical services, announced that there will be no more testing for the coronavirus cases in, in the Arab community um, if criteria aren't changed. There are 38 pop, uh, uh, patients diagnosed in Arab communities. Arabs constitute 20% of Israel's population, like you said, and they're also an at-risk population because of all the a lot of high percentage suffering from chronic illnesses. And um, there's also crowded living conditions and problematic socioeconomic situations for many people in their community there. And um, they are refusing to test any more Arabs, basically, which is a blatant um, violation. You know, it's basically blatant racism. Yeah. Um, one could venture to maybe say that's borderline genocidal to refuse to treat an, a certain population for a deadly pandemic on the grounds of their ethnicity, essentially. Yeah. Um, that's straight up racism <laughs> and border and, you know, necessarily that will kill a lot of people. Yes. Um, so returning to the freedom of speech issue, because um, once again, this is that's the state that is being defended, the state and the politics of that state the apartheid um, supremacist logic, the ethnocentric logic of that, of the Israeli state. Yes. That that's their operating principle. Costing people. Yeah. That is costing people their lives. That is what the attacks on our first amendment rights here in the United States are being done in defense of Uh, to quote the first amendment. Congress shall make no law. Uh, respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. That's the freedom of speech clause in it. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. Which is exactly what they're doing. And that's exactly what the FBI is doing. That's not Congress. Sure, you could say, oh, the FBI is not Congress making a law. But this is the FBI going way out of bounds. And also, and also they, it's in the, like in the this, case of this intercept pretty much article. anyone that's serious even on the right, have interpreted the first, like, all amendments that say Congress to apply to, you know, state governments, federal government, et cetera. There's, there's no, there's only the most boneheaded literalist would take the word Congress and say that the state government's laws are okay. But Congress also did yeah, pass a We've law. already settled the issue of federal supremacy. But Congress also already did set a law, you know, I mean. Yeah, and Congress, of course, did set a law saying that um, the state laws are not, um, in the language of the bill, the way it's, it phrases it is that this is not in contradiction to federal law. So federal law doesn't override it, which, of course, yes, it does. The first amendment, it's a violation of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is in the Constitution. The Constitution is the one law that over it's a part of the Constitution. Amendments are added onto the Constitution. It is constitutional law it is the most overriding it overrides all other federal laws and federal law overrides the state law so clearly it it is illegal it is unconstitutional to pass a law that says people cannot participate in a boycott of israeli um products of israeli made products as part of a political statement 
Yes. And of course, the bill also in its language, specifically, it would have been writing into law, it due to the way it's written, that BDS, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, that, that, move, that the BDS movement, which is about putting pressure on Israel to reform itself, which is far, far by in, boycotting, yeah. boycotting products made there, boycotting products made within the occupied territories, which there is an economic dimension to the occupation where the Israelis do um, permit certain businesses to operate and to essentially create sweatshop-like conditions in parts of the West Bank because um, it's essentially a captive workforce. They can't leave the West Bank and they are their livelihoods are pretty much entirely, since every single necessity, food, your access to food, water, shelter, electricity, etc., is pretty much contingent on whether or not the Israelis want you to have it, the Israeli government wants you to have it that week or that day or for an hour or so. Um, they, have, they are, it doesn't even matter. They're, it doesn't really matter how much they're getting paid because there is essentially no real economy outside of it. The competition will start kicking in. Yeah, competition will start kicking in and uh, line go up. But the bill essentially would have said that BDS is anti-Semitic. It would have written into law the words that boycotting Israel, protesting in favor of divestment from Israel, advocating for sanctions on Israel for violating international law. So, yeah. UN sanctions are entirely legally justified and should be being employed against Israel, and they should have been for a very long time. They should be in place for as long as there are any illegal settlements remaining in the West Bank. Every single settlement is illegal. Um, so uh, as long as there is a settlement that is still there, it's, unless some yeah. other alternative solution is worked out diplomatically, it's almost as ridiculous. Sanctions should be being applied it's, it's, legally. It's speaking. almost as ridiculous as saying, you know, like the. Uh the civil rights movement in the United States with the um, sit-ins and boycotts, like the Montgomery bus boycott, that's anti-white. If you're saying that BDS is anti-Semitic, yeah. it's, it's insane. That's, yeah, it, it's, what, what if they said that? It's racist to white people to boycott white-owned businesses that have whites-only signs on. I mean, I would I wouldn't what be, sur- I would be surprised. I, I'm not, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like listened to this and was like, hmm, I wonder, and they dug it up and they found like, yeah, there was somebody that, you know, said that there was some newspaper in you know, you know, I, I think, I think Mississippi that said that. But I think if there's if we all know that would be ridiculous. That, no, but I think I think if the civil rights movement happened today, people like Charlie Kirk would say that. You know, Probably. This is racist they towards white people. Would. That's another person that's constantly whining about free speech supposedly being violated by liberals and by Democrats. I'm sorry, but who, what, what party is state by state making it illegal? Well, to be fair, there to have a contract with this to be employed by to receive any public money from the state, if unless they sign a literal oath of loyalty to Israel. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think uh, I, that signing a loath of loyalty, is loath of oath of loyalty, okay, to Israel is uh, is pretty ridiculous. And um, I just have, I, I mean, the uh, the state action. I mean, there's also other states with similar measures, including Illinois, California, Minnesota, New York. There's dem- there's, there's some blue states. There's in definitely there. some Democrats Quite and a, a lot of swing states as well. Um, 
I mean, Iowa, if that's serviceable state still, Iowa, Pennsylvania. States that are kind of purple. Iowa, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Texas. You know, it's not just Alabama. It is Alabama, too, I should note. I'm looking at the list of states right here. Yeah, it's like Alabama, Texas. It's some sta- states that are essentially, you know, for all intents and purposes, one-party Republican states. Um, and then a bunch of states that are, for all intents and purposes, one-party Democratic states. And then, you know, some states that are in between. It's a good share. It's a broad mix. It's bipartisan. It's pretty representative of the United States as well, I'd say. It's reaching across the yeah. aisle. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's it's pretty sad, the, this bipartisan consensus. Um, I think with that, unless Nick has something else to say, we should probably wrap this segment um, now. But, yeah, if there's anything, else, if any, yeah, anything that, to close. Yeah, my, my closings on this would essentially be, you know, first off um, – if the FBI tries to question you for your activism, uh, watch your back because they do not mess around, obviously. You know, um, we are aware of the fact that, uh, you know, this I haven't really read anything about Palestinian uh, related activists um, being, you know, having physical violence befall them. But... It is being reported on, it has been reported on that a lot of the original organizers of the first Black Lives Matter protest in Ferguson have wound up dead. That is um, just in very similar ways. Yeah, and the, and the Ferguson Police Department and the St. Louis Sheriff's Department uh, in that part of Missouri have um, frequently, uh, have, their response has basically been, oh, these are all gang killings, even though they don't match any gang killing ever performed in the area. And they say that without actually doing an investigation um that is the situation um if the fbi is calling you and trying to intimidate you for your activism stay strong and keep doing it because people are scared but also watch your back and stay safe yes and my final thought is you know uh, if anybody tries to talk to you about free speech being under threat from, from the so-called authoritarian or identitarian, whatever bullshit adjective they use, um, left, from the left, um, just throw this in their face. Yeah. Don't think, make sure, just all their criticism should ring a hollow in your ears. Very well put. It should. Very well put. Yeah. And with that, we'll conclude this discussion, and uh, I'll see you in a little bit. See you in a little bit. All right, we're back here with a continuation of episode six of Unexceptional Americans. We've had a, I think it's fair to say, a strange week, Nick, and um, yep. all ending, or not ending, but um, all culminating for this episode, at least in today, which is a very bad day. This is, this is, hopefully you can hear this. I am having a very bad day. Yes, yes, I can hear it, yeah. Today sucks. Today is <laughs> today is rough. I Today's woke up early. That will go down in infamy. Woke up early. I went to uh, 
went to check Twitter an hour, an hour and a half hour after I woke up and I saw that uh, Bernard Sand- Sanders, senator from Vermont, has decided to suspend his campaign mm-hmm. for president of the United States. And um, I had to say, it, to the least, I am disappointed because I, mm-hmm. with, the, with the wave of primaries coming up in June because of the postponement, and we'll see, maybe it'll be postponed even further, but I guess maybe not now because of this decision by Bernie, but I thought that he was going to give it a real go and try to make a comeback out of it. We know Biden is just incredibly weak. He's just so weak. I mean, come on. So weak. (sighs) Man. He's like the Michael Jordan of being (laughs) a weak frontrunner. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a way to put it. He is just so good at being weak. He's... Mm. I mean, how, he, what are the, odds the, the, Steve, the the Stephen yeah. A. clip is fitting because he he is he is the he's the Knicks <laughs> he is the New York Knicks for the past twenty years of the United States presidential <laughs> politics. And Today is politics. a bad day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I man, I guess I don't know. This is just one of my initial thoughts. Because it's weird too. It like doesn't. It barely even makes sense to suspend your campaign. But he's leaving his name on the ballot so that they can keep getting delegates, so that they can do stuff at the convention and have people on the platform committee, which doesn't matter. The platform committee doesn't matter. Who I mean, they just got onto the platform committee three years ago, and it did four years ago, and it did not matter. Well, also, Hillary Clinton did not run on the platform. And, and no president has. Yeah, I remember there's a big deal. Like three years ago, four years ago, I keep I keep wanting to say three, but it's four years ago now. There was a big stink about the Republican Party's official platform having um, you know, when uh, there was a big kerfuffle because it was brewings of Russia Gate and. The Republican platform, the RNC, originally had in the platform a criticism of Obama saying he didn't send lethal weapons to Ukraine. And the Republican platform said, we will. And then Paul Manafort obviously stepped in and he said, no, scratch that. The the, uh, candidate Trump doesn't want to do that. And I don't either. So scratch that just make it we will support ukraine generally and scratch the lethal weapons language out of it get rid of all of that i'm um, in a lot of some you know rachel maddow lost her started was at the beginning of losing her mind and she said you know this is you know russia pulling the strings or whatever but obviously it was for other reasons and trump has turned his back on that since then yeah and no one really cared because it wasn't like Trump was running around saying anything about Ukraine on the campaign trail, really. He will now. Total different set of issues that have to do with Ukraine. <laughs> have to Hunter do with Biden. Fucking, they have to do with the fact that Hunter Biden was like, oh, what? Duh, duh, I'll take a job on a really shady gas company that I've never heard of. <laughs> I'm on crack. He was on crack. <laughs> Stay off the crack. Yeah. The, more Stephen A. references here. He was on crack. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to, I'm picked off. Yeah, I'm not having not having a great, not having a good day. The platform thing, it doesn't matter. I guess him suspending, but still getting delegates. I guess it's the compromise position. 
between whoever was in his campaign <laughs> the him, the dude we gotta we gotta drop out and him and the people saying no we have to go all the way to the convention i guess this is like a an in-between position to be in the uh the uh democrats could put in their platform we will abolish all private property and they still would govern to, to the right of Mitt Romney at some point. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> they would literally put in, they, they could put in there like, they, they would, I, and you know what? I wouldn't believe them. I wouldn't believe them if they did that. If Joe Biden went out there and said, uh, workers, employees, people, people of the world, unite. <laughs> You have nothing to lose, but, 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 you know, you know the thing, the thing. <laughs> Maoist yeah, yeah, Biden. Yeah. yeah, if he was going out there, like, quoting the Communist Manifesto, I wouldn't believe it for, for a damn second. He, but even if, even it. if they're, and, and, and we saw this, we saw this before. Damn like, thing he said. The whole thing at the beginning of the primary is, uh, it's like, well, you know, everyone else in the race is adopting Bernie's position. Like, if they're younger, we should just go for them. And then you see really fast that, that those all people all begin to waver. All those co-sponsors of Medicare That was always all, a lie. All those co-sponsors of Medicare for all, they fell apart the second anything got tough. And they are not pushing for it now in the middle of a pandemic. They are still not pushing for it. They are not doing anything whatsoever to actually get Medicare for all passed. They're they just busy put their saying name it's on problematic. It. Yes. To criticize Kamala Harris for opposing Medicare for all. And somehow it's mean to her personally to criticize her. Grow a spine. And we have people <laughs> people saying that, you know, Joe Biden is somehow going to uh, going to, uh, you know, be the, be the candidate to take the Democrats into the White House. And then what what's going to happen from there? Let's point this out, you know, you know. We we don't you know we supported Bernie and we made the electability case for him. You know, obviously, no one even knows about electability. I think that's a dumb thing to talk about anyway. But because um, no one knows what's going to happen. But no one knows what's going to happen over the next few months. Nobody was expecting a pandemic to happen. We should have been expecting it because you know other reasons. But no one a few months. No one when we were talking about electability was thinking. Oh, oh! A pandemic's gonna happen. It's gonna crash the entire global economy. Yeah, and um, no one was thinking that electability means the electability thing meant nothing, nothing. And we spent the entire elect and the entire primary process was wasted on that. Yeah, and um, and also it's, it should be it should be noted that so Bernie's. But regardless of electability, you know, there has to be something. And this is the problem with Trump derangement syndrome that has so taken over the Democratic Party. And we talked about that in our in our shit post, which will be a shit, shit rant or whatever shit podcast that will be released on Easter Sunday. Um, It'll be a little a, Easter gift. Just a, a gift from the heavens. Just, just to clarify. Um, yeah, this is the it's, continu- a, it's like an Easter candy basket. This segment and like the, the, big, the yeah. big chocolate bunny is the is the weird uh some of the don't want to spoil it, but some of like the weird, uh, like future of electoral politics stuff we talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's um, the big that's the big one. Then you got like the little peanut butter eggs that are like you know shitting on Biden or whatever. But <laughs> so you just paint with words, Nick. You paint with words. But um, yes. But the uh, the the people that might be confused with what's happening is that so on Monday we're supposed to interview uh, Chris Smalls. Um, unfortunately, he did not come on the podcast. We had a bit of a, a mix-up there. So then we were kind of like, 
hung, we were kind of like, you know, not really sure what to do. So we just decided to record. We recorded one segment about the FBI and their uh, horrendous anti-Palestinian activities. And we had a larger discussion about anti-Palestinian politics in the United States. Um, and then that's going to be part well of as free speech. Yeah, as well, free, yes, which connects to free yeah. speech, of course. And, and that's going to be part of part of today's episode along with the segments we're recording today but that was recorded on monday and then today of course we found the news about bernie dropping out and then on monday also we recorded a very long segment that we decided we will put out as a little special but it's not classified as an actual episode because it was longer than any of our episodes have been by themselves and it was just an absolute glorious rant by both of us there but i would like to point out also um just shifting gears from that little explanation is that um Healthcare stocks, health insurance stocks, not healthcare stocks. That's a, that's a folly right there to describe a health, health, healthcare. But health insurance stocks have soared after Bernie dropped out of the race. So, yep. if you're wondering who's profiting from this, and I, uh, you're I, wondering who's really happy about Joe Biden being the Democratic nominee. And Joe Biden has done so much today on Twitter, which is not him, of course. You know that. You know he can't, he can't even use a computer, let alone a phone. But Joe Biden has done so much on Twitter to reach out to Bernie supporters. He has extended the olive branch. He has been very, very much different in his tone than he was during the campaign. Oh, what did he do? What did he do? Did he say, I'm, I'm going to make my I'm going to make Nina Turner my vice president? No, he did not say that. Did he say, uh, I, I take back my entire career on health care. Did he say he has, my he entire, has empathy, nearly, he has nearly empathy for millennials or young people when he says he has no empathy like last year? Did he say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Did he say, uh, yeah, um, I'm going to apologize to Anita Hill? That would be a start <laughs> to get me to consider voting for him. And here's my, here's my take, okay? No matter where you are, I'd say, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what to say here because it's, it's, it's a devil's bargain. That's the police position we're put in, and we're going to talk about that a lot. I have a feeling we're going to talk about this a lot in the coming weeks and, of course, in the coming months. But, like, where do we go from here? Like, truly? But for the time being, for the election in November 2020, yeah. I say if you're living in a blues or red state, I would say vote for the Green Party. Vote for a write-in if you really have to. Vote whatever you want. But Because if, if Joe Biden, you know, if he wins California or New York, but he wins with, like, 51 52% because so many people are pissed and don't vote for him, that's going to send a real message to the Democratic Party. And it's going to send a message no matter what, because he's probably going to lose. Let's just be honest. And, but, yeah, because let's be honest. But we're telling, yeah. we're not saying if you're in a swing state, actively vote. We're not saying go vote for Trump either. Don't, don't vote for Trump. That. that is not. Don't vote if you if you vote for Trump, you're not on. To quote Joe Rogan, you're not on the team. Although he is voting for Trump. But, <laughs> we, yeah, he he might be from a man who we're all supposed to hate now. But to, but to be honest, I think the, his clip was kind of misunderstood. He said he'd rather vote for Trump than Biden, but that wasn't in a context of how bad Biden was. And I don't think he likes Trump either because he said, no, he he said that quote you just mentioned about not being on the team, which I think is a good you know way to put it in a very simple and visceral way, is was in, re, was in reaction to Trump locking up you know migrant children at the border. So I so he yeah. does he's not a supportive of supporter of that at all and he's be and you yeah. know why Joe Rogan's saying that? yeah it's it's because I've heard this from other people I know people who are not necessarily you know 
they aren't as out there as Joe Rogan might be. Then again, who how, who are we to say he's kind of out there because he's the largest podcast, period. Um, so millions of people listen to him. Uh, I know a lot of people out there who are probably going to look at the TV and think to themselves, huh, I hate both of these guys. They're both absolutely like the worst. I don't want to vote for either of them. But they're going to look at them and they're going to compare them on the only thing that they can actually separate them on. And the only thing that you can really drive a hard and clear difference between them is you know, Trump's, a, Trump's a pathological liar. He's probably told more lives on television than any other human being ever. And he... But somehow, you know, in order to lie like that, you have to be in control of your faculties. And let's be honest, I think Donald Trump is in relative control of his faculties. And Biden is not. Biden has no idea where he is half the time. He forgets Obama's name. And Obama is the one reason why he's running and why he's going to be the nominee, probably. Almost certainly. Unless, and he can't even yeah. remember. And he called him... Quote, Mr. President, uh, 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 my boss, Mr. Mister my boss, was what he called him. He cannot remember his name half the time. He thought Cory Booker was Obama during one of the debates. Yeah. I've, because they're, they don't even look the same. I think... Uh, they're just both black. Um, I think uh, another thing they can compare them on is that, you know, at least in terms of rhetoric, Trump has always... Not always, but for the entirety of his political career, which has been very recent, of course, has been more of a, you know, at least appearance of a populist and of someone who can, you know, speak to people and, you know, not speak to some imaginary corn pop or Jack or Mac that's in the 1980s. Yeah, there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people who are going to think to themselves, hmm, we got two racist Misogynist old white guys. Wait, wait a second. Sorry. And keep going. What? What is the real difference? Well, they both seem to be going a little crazy, but one of them's going crazy in the sense that he might wander out of the White House. He might wake up in like the Lincoln bedroom one night and be like, "Where am I?" The other one. He just is crazy because he, you know, sits shoving Big Macs in his face all day, tweeting till four in the morning while he's watching Tucker and Judge Janine. There's a difference there. And a lot of the people who see that are going to are probably just going to be like, I'm not going to vote at all. There's no point. I'm staying home. Some of them might vote green. Some of them might vote libertarian. Some of them might vote Nothing, some, you know, vermin supreme bullshit, whatever. But I think a lot of those people who are looking at it and they're going to be like, "Mm, at least one of them seems to know where he is and know who the people, know the names of the people around him. Yeah, I'll pick that guy. Oh, I'd pick that guy over the one who's displaying symptoms of, let's be frank, dementia. Uh, well, I'm just going to, or the guy who quite, or it might, just, it might even be that far. It might just be, he's so old, he's literally too tired to do it. Um, yeah. That might be it. 
then a lot of those people are are going to say that. They are going to say, listen, if I had to pick between Uncle Joe losing his mind and Crazy Donnie who seems to, who lies all the time, I'd probably pick the guy who lies all the time because at least he knows what's going on. But I'm not going to actually go and vote for either. And I think there's, I think we have to I think that's what most of those people are at. There's a more than I think there's a more than 20% possibility that the Democrats will try to replace Biden at the convention if if um, they think they can get away with it because there is definitely like a part of the Democratic establishment that is I think more so than 2016 they're more in touch with reality because it's easier to think Hillary Clinton's going to beat Donald Trump in 2016 than to think Joe Biden's going to beat Donald Trump in 2020. It's easier to convince yourself of that delusion yeah. because we haven't we haven't seen. Well, I think a lot of people don't actually yeah, believe it. I think a lot of people are just saying it to themselves and are just yeah. trying to fake it till they make it because they don't want to accept that this is the fate they see. They they don't want to accept that this is the grave they've dug for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, but, but I mean, like you know, Hillary Clinton was you know, seen as someone who had some kind of magic electoral strength. I don't know how, but she, you know, is going to, or in 2016, Trump had not won an election already. He was not the incumbent president. That's a big difference, I think. He had not, he had not upset virtually all historical precedents. And he, this is a guy who seems to be immune in terms of his approval rating to the ebb and flow of the economy or to the fucking coronavirus. I want, I, I want to point, he has up until now been totally immune to the shifting of the economy in terms of his approval rating. It seems to be totally detached from that. And usually when the economy does well, the approval rating goes up. Donald approval rating remained low when the economy was at its strongest during his presidency. And then it went up as it, then it went up at times when it was actually doing fairly poorly and it has gone up now in the middle of a crisis that is almost entirely of his own making. It is at a new and height also, that has never been seen before. It's also before. worth pointing that out that, you know, um, people, the Democrats made the argument that Trump, you know, if Trump was, if Trump was going to, um, if Trump became president, he was going to basically destroy the whole world. And while he has done a lot of terrible things, and it's actually ironic because a lot of the, the media's yeah. done a very well, bad job at actually also, making him look like he's actually destroyed And also a lot of the things that he's done are similar to what the order of neoliberalism has been over the past 40 years. So it's hard to tell a difference between, I mean, like, like even, even for a lot of people, like there is very little to no difference between 2016 and 2017. I want to say 2020 because, you know, the COVID thing is obviously, but that's, that's not Trump's fault entirely. That's just to be clear that Trump has botched the response to an astounding degree and he's made it worse, but like it's not like you know this is all because of Trump. Like if Trump had started a started a war or something, that we could blame it to, on him more easily. But other than the COVID thing, people have not noticed maybe a change from Obama, and that speaks poorly on both Obama and Trump. And um, I don't think that that argue and you know Hillary Clinton's ads were all about you know little girls watching Trump. And thinking that he was going to like have the nuclear codes and go crazy and people doing all kinds of stuff. And, um, and he's, he hasn't done that. And <laughs> he hasn't, he hasn't proven to anybody that he's literally. Yeah. Hitler. But I think, 
And he won't because he's not. He governs like a traditional Republican. But I think I think if he wins the second term, the the gloves will come off a bit more. And um, I think that there is a danger in letting Trump have a second term, which is why I still say, if you're in a swing state, I would, as, as hard as it is, I would recommend to vote for Joe Biden. But I'm also not going to judge anyone who doesn't vote for Joe Biden because it's not their fault. Yeah. Regardless of what the Democrats and Hillary Clinton and Nero Tandon want to say, it's not your fault. If we if we lose with Joe Biden, if we if, if the Democrats lose with Joe Biden, it's not the fault of the voters who had a conscience, or not a conscience, you can have a conscience over Biden too. It's, it's not a fault of the voters who stuck to their principles and saw that the best way to do that was to vote for, you know, the green or libertarian or a write-in candidate. I mean, um, I'm not even sure. I don't even know what I'm going to do because I live in a swing state. Well, if you can call it that anymore, with with Joe Biden at the, at the top, I, I don't know if it's if it's lost forever, but it might not be Joe Biden to win it back from Donald Trump. I'm, I'm going to say that there's a very good chance, but I think it's enough of a swing state that I'll feel some pressure to vote for Joe Biden. Um, but God, I really did not think in my heart of hearts it was going to get this far. I I didn't either. Um, speaking of which, uh, some other things have happened over the past couple of days that we yes, wanted to yes. talk about before before this morning's tragic course of events. Um, one thing we wanted to cover was um, Alyssa, Alyssa Milano has finally actually said something about the Biden campaign and uh, Biden's rape accusation. And she astoundingly, word for word, repeated the defenses that Republicans offered of Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. She said, she said to Andy Cohen on his radio show, this is from The Independent, she said, I believe that even though we should believe women, and that is an important thing, and what that statement really means is that for so long, the go-to has been not to believe them. So really, we have to societally change that mindset to believing women. But that does not mean at the expense of not giving men their due process and investigating situations. It's got to be fair in both directions. And Alyssa Milano, it's sorry. Yeah, that's end quote. Alyssa Milano also (laughs) wrote, and obviously now she's talking about this. She said she wrote this in August of last year. The key to being Trump, elect all the Democratic candidates. And she made a, she wrote a whole thing about um you know all of all of the uh all of she made a whole short whole article about all of the crazy lunacy that goes on in her head and she said you know um she said that vice president biden should be the president so she always has been saying that she said harris would be vice president attorney general cory booker elizabeth warren education bernie sanders the health and human services it's just like come on all these people are just like (laughs) i'm sorry but it's kind of it's kind of funny like how these people are just like unity because all these people you know except for bernie and you know marianne are just hacky they Spent like a they basically spent a like year over that, tell, basically like 
acting like the left wing of the Democratic Party and Sanders supporters are the dog shit that they stepped in and it's stuck on their foot and they just wish it would go away. Yeah, it is insane. So they've not earned they've not earned anybody's vote. And especially, obviously, um, Alyssa Milano is just delusional. She's in some bizarre Looney Tunes world of her own imagining. Uh, thankfully, of course, we have the wonderful Rose McGowan to... Uh, continue setting Alyssa Milano straight. Uh, uh, Rose McGowan tweeted, she retweeted uh, Alyssa Milano's tweet saying, I explained my silence on the allegations against Joe Biden in this clip. I am still endorsing him. Listen to this clip to find out why. Hashtag me too. Hashtag time's up. Funny that she put that in the tweet after she, uh, you know, took them out of her bio. Uh, Along with several others, it should be noted, um, this we literally saw them before our very eyes murder what was left of the Me Too movement by just removing it from their names, not using it anymore, and rendering the words completely hollow and meaningless and hypocritical due to their political opportunism. Um, Rose McGowan re- quote tweeted it and said, you are a fraud. This is about holding the media accountable. You go after Trump and Kavanaugh saying believe victims. You are a lie. You have always been a lie. The corrupt DNC is in on the smear job of Tara Reid. So are you. All caps, shame. That is put better than I could probably. And that's coming from someone who was a co-worker of Alyssa Milano's at one point. And back in uh, 2016, when this all, 2016, 2017, when this all started, she did the, Rose McGowan did that interview and she was asked about Alyssa Milano and she says, I don't like her. She's a lie. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I mean, Alyssa Milano is just ridiculous. And now she's tweeting about how, you know, Bernie should be, Bernie, uh, you know, Bernie's, sorry, Bernie's campaign is like welcomed into the, into the Biden thing and everything. She's tweeting about Bernie, like, it's united the party. Bernie's so great. He's changed America forever. Whereas just earlier this week, I remember, she went on, a, on an insane rant of tweeting out like 13 negative articles about Bernie in the span of like 45 minutes. And she did that again the next day. Yes, including things from yes. the Daily Wire. And she, did, she did that the next day as well. And then all of a sudden when Bernie drops out and it's not a threat to Joe Biden anymore, then all of a sudden they just um, they just say, oh, well, he's a part of our movement. And he, no, none of them none of them care about, at all about what Bernie represents. None of them like him at all. And none of them like his supporters at all. And, you know, they are um, Alyssa Milano, Joe Biden, all those people that are living in their own little bubble. They are happy to spend, you know, how long has it been at this point? It feels like forever, like, you know, over a year of a campaign, like maybe 14 months of a campaign, just smearing Bernie and saying about all his problems, about how he's going to reelect Trump. And then the moment Bernie drops out, it's, oh, we were always with him. And we just had a disagreement on how to get there. The idea that Joe Biden says he shares Bernie's goals, but disagrees on how to get there. Give me a break. Joe Biden was... Pro- <laughs> he doesn't agree with any of his goals. He makes it very clear. Yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. The Democrats are not all in favor of universal health care in any meaningful sense of that word, but they all claim to be. Yes, and the media carried out a disgusting miscarriage of journalism and, uh, yeah. by allowing all the terms of this de- of 
all the major policy debates to be totally blurred to the point of meaninglessness, to the point where the words progressive, universal health care, Medicare for all, all those terms, all those phrases were so abused and twisted and had holes poked in them to the point and so many caveats added to it to the point where those terms all became also, meaningless. Okay, here's the thing. And they didn't yeah. report on who actually supported yeah, and, and what. Of all the Democrats, they all had, except for Bernie and um, Warren at first, but then that, that all went. So basically, except for Bernie, all the Democrats had pretty, pretty much, you know, milk toast, weak, half-measure health care plans. Still better than what Trump was saying, but nowhere near what we need. And of all those people, Joe Biden was always the worst, and he's going to be the nominee. Even among them. Yeah. He was always one. He, he was always riding the line between being a full-blown blue dog, which Chris Coons, his success, his handpicked successor has, as senator of Delaware, has just totally stopped walking that line and jumped full-fledged into being a blue dog Democrat. Um, Biden always walked that line between being like, yeah, an establishment Democrat who could kind of be called, you know, not liberal, but just really moderate and just being a wolf, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing always walked that line. And he's leaned way back into that since he, since he's not Obama's vice president. Yeah. It's, um, it's ridiculous. And here's the thing. It's not just like, it's maybe one thing if Joe Biden and Barack Obama and, all, and Hillary Clinton, and all those people, their careers were just, you know, they are working really hard to pass good legislation that will benefit the American people. However, they, you know, believe that it's better to get there through incremental. No, 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 no. They are also, or not, not also, they are actually working very hard to pass legislation like the Patriot Act and the bankruptcy bill and the, the crime bill and all those terrible things. And they're trying to, um, you know, open up the Arctic for drilling like Obama did. And they're trying to, you know, start new drone strikes all over the Middle East. It's not like they're actually like, you know, just really earnestly working hard for the little guy but they're coming up short but they always want to say you know, we're always trying our best it's just the damn republicans they have a majority we got to work with them no 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 they are going overboard to the extreme end of the spectrum on the on the, on those terrible things and that is what i think bernie should have made a case about was that joe biden is just as extreme as bernie sanders is if not more but he's on the other side and that's worse because the extreme right sorry for people that you know, or into horseshoe theory or whatever. The extreme right is way worse than the extreme left. The, if yes, you go... that is correct. The extreme left wants, the so-called far left of American politics wants everybody to have health care. The far right wants de facto eugenics. Yes. And that's two totally different things. They're and Joe Biden said he didn't want to live in a racial jungle. So if you think he's not, yes, he's not, uh, you know, a racist. If you think because somehow a bunch of older black voters in the South voted for him, a large part because all these, you know, career politicians like Jim Clyburn and John Lewis endorsed him. Who we should note that Jim Clyburn is now in charge of the committee in the House that is supposed to be providing oversight. And on the news, in an interview, he's basically said he's not going to do real oversight. And, you know, just because these people are, you know, black politicians doesn't mean that they're above criticism. And obviously, 
you know, in those districts. Yeah. Well, black person's above yeah. criticism in the Democratic Party if they have the right yes. opinions. If they're if Nina Turner yeah. um, or uh, Bree Joy Gray, they are, in the words of uh, what's his name, uh, Jason Johnson, um, the island yes. of misfit black girls is what he called them. Yeah. So if you're a black person, if you're Jim Clyburn, then you are above all criticism. Any criticism against you is racist. But if you're Nina Turner, you're pretty joy great. Exactly. That doesn't or if you're any of the other countless, you know, black Bernie's awards, which just did not get enough coverage. Who have been yeah. totally and, erased um, from the conversation. You know, if it's, it's, which yeah, is actually it's simply to do. Insane. And they are, if you don't think that they are going to turn around in the general election and, uh, and pivot to, you know, white suburbanites and white working class voters in the Midwest, like you're fooling yourself. Like they are not going to spend a second in South Carolina in the general election or after or after. No, they're not. You know, they're, even, if they, even if they win. Well, who knows? Maybe Joe Biden will make the, the goofy decision to like, maybe somebody will actually convince him he can win Georgia and he'll just show up there and he'll like skip meetings in Maine or New Hampshire and I'll end up like losing Maine and New Hampshire completely and not getting yeah. anywhere in Georgia. Just like Hillary Clinton. Did, Hillary, when would... she went to Arizona on like the eve of the yeah, election like or whatever. Clinton. Yeah. And uh, she didn't even win she didn't even win Michigan. Which I guarantee you Joe Biden's going to do. I guarantee you Joe Biden's going to go to Arizona and hold hands with some like decrepit, horrifyingly terrible uh, right-wing, never-Trump Republicans from Arizona, and he's going on like a stage somewhere with him and Kirsten Cinema, and they're all going to be like, oh, ho, ho, "Yeah, unity!" And then they're going to lose the state, like yeah, they always he's do. Going to, he's going to be <laughs> because Arizona has been a right-wing well, state. If he goes forever. to Georgia, he's going to be polling like you know maybe five points within Trump, and he'll be like, "Oh golly, I think I can beat this guy here." And then he'll show up for a rally, and then he'll be like ten points behind because people actually see him. Yeah, once he, like, you know, accidentally calls Stacey Abrams Michelle or something like that. During, <laughs> or calls her Barack because he can't even tell the difference between men and women anymore either. He's just lost everything. Probably. See some, like, like old white lady. It's like, Brock! Yeah. Um, obviously, the final thing we wanted to talk about was the Wisconsin primary, which... is a joke. Like, there's not much to talk about. Yeah, other than the fact that it's a joke because um, they had to close in Milwaukee. 175 out of 180. Over, they only left open at five polling stations. Yeah. Five polling stations in Milwaukee, which is home to most of Wisconsin's black people. Um, speaking of, you know, Joe Biden supposedly being the candidate of African Americans. Um, he's the guy who Joe Biden has spent like a week basically saying, this is fine. This is okay to have a primary. Um, well, it turns out most people who volunteer at those polling stations are older people with the time to volunteer. And that means they're most at risk of dying from coronavirus if they catch it. So it turns out they had a shortage of volunteers, a shortage of volunteers that is so devast- that was so massive and so devastating because people didn't want to volunteer their time for an election that a lot of people might not show up for and risk their lives doing so. Um, Nobody wants to risk a death for no pay and with minimal security guaranteed. 
and a lot of those people probably weren't playing on volunteer because they probably hoped it would be postponed. There's a million reasons why. There's a million and one perfectly justifiable and just, yes, justified reasons for bunch of people who would have normally volunteered not volunteering but the shortage is so critical that that was the official expo- explanation for why they shuttered and why they're not releasing results until monday because yeah because they literally don't have enough people to count the votes so other than saying the wisconsin primary was a joke and, and, and uh, joe biden encouraging it was a massive Trumpian that the, uh, joke the uh unofficial turnout rates that I've seen reported in Madison was about 50%, which is actually really bad because that means a lot of people were getting exposed to the virus probably, but also in Milwaukee. Yeah. If the turnout is high in an area, it's bad. That means a and lot of Milwaukee, people it was 3%. The disease. And if turnout was, yeah, it's, I, I, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And it, it, it turnout is usually, you know, shameful in these situations in this country, in elections in this country. They turnout tends to be a terrible disaster. It's an embarrassment usually um, on the international stage. But like in this case, you kind of hope that turnout is low because you kind of hope people. But are in the Midwest, I would know that. Yeah. On the other hand, you realize that it's still an election that's happening, and the results are basically going to be if nobody turns out those results are totally unrepresented it's like madison um is like a is a college town it's a very well-educated town and people vote there in higher numbers than they do in most parts of the state or the country so uh, april it's a for comparison the turnout in the primary in 2016 when bernie sanders beat hillary clinton there was 66 percent and now it's 50 percent so even then like it is clear pretty clear that's pretty significant Gap and 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 obviously Milwaukee is yeah. is the real story there. I don't know what it was in twenty sixteen, but I can guarantee it was a lot higher than three. Yeah, um, yeah. Other than that, there's not much to touch on with this election because there's no results reported, and they won't be reported till like Monday. Yeah, it's <laughs> to a whole totally different time. <laughs> So until literally yeah. next week. So um, there's not much other to talk and, about. And um, let's just say Michael Brooks was right. No. Um, he told people not to underestimate Biden and his poll with the Democratic primary electorate. And I just want to give credit for him because he saw it coming. And I, I thought for sure he was going he, to he fall flat on his face. But I have learned now never to hope again. So. Yeah. Um, as Gramsci said, this is the lesson for the week to have pessimism of the intellect and That's hope of the will. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. All right, and we'll leave you with that. Yep. Yeah, we'll leave you. That's I, what I, I, I leave you with. I'm not going to have an uh, mm-hmm. optimistic outlook like I usually do to end the to end the show. But uh, keep fighting, everyone. We uh, we have to. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, we do have to understand that this. If you think that. Because Bernie lost, we should give up. Then you're missing the whole point of Bernie to begin with. It was not me, us. It's about all of us. And we're still here. And he's still here. He's just not running for president anymore. And mm-hmm. um, if you were inspired like by him in 2016 mm-hmm. or now, like I was, if you were inspired by all kinds of other you know, left politicians or left media or left podcasts like this one, um, well, then you know now's the time to 
to get going something, you know, join your DSA, you know, do some activism, obviously once the, the whole thing gets done. And, and yeah, join a union. If, join a start union. A union. Yeah. Start you, one in your and, workplace. You know, bit by bit, we can, we can change things. And for the time being, you know, it's, it's a very um, tremendous opportunity to build solidarity with your neighbors and with your friends because of COVID and people you might not even know. I've, I'm in a few group chat, uh, Facebook groups, sorry, not group chats, Facebook groups that are, you know, about, you know, mutual aid during this time. People that are coming together to support each other during this because the government's not doing its job. And this is a great way to get started, actually. You know, the silver lining of this pandemic is people are forced to talk to each other more. People mm-hmm. are forced to realize that we're, we, we are a community. You know, the, the rugged individuals that the, the right wants you to believe in, that is that all goes exactly, you know, right downhill in a pandemic. We are not we are not going to be able to get through this unless you're really rich. And those people are doing it, but they're not the example we should look towards. People that are, are going to get through are going to do so together. And that, that's why we'll leave you with this. We need to stick together through all of this like hillary like hillary said stronger mm-hmm. together but actually not not her slogan <laughs> yes yeah and all right goodbye so thank you that, yeah yeah thanks for listening to this episode uh, six. rather mangled episode but uh hope you enjoyed it all right mm-hmm.